0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Matt Dean concludes our series, Following Jesus, with Mark chapter 16. Good morning. Happy Easter. We are so glad to be here with you today as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Uh, For the past 15 weeks, we've been working through Mark's gospel, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 16 this morning where we will end this gospel as we have walked through every single verse, every single word, every single page and with the thought of our growing confidence in Jesus Christ. It was written to the first century church as they faced imminent persecution and suffering that these words would encourage their hearts and adhere them to the resurrected King Jesus, that they would walk faithfully with him all the days of their lives. This morning, I've, I've added some layers from other gospels, from, from John and from Luke and from Matthew to help us see in greater form the story of the resurrection of Christ, which is true and historical and to believe, to be believed and to be, to be trusted. And so let's pick up this morning in Mark chapter 16 and we'll begin with verse one. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, Bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. If you're just joining us, this is after the crucifixion of Jesus, after the burial of Jesus, and now after the Sabbath was over, these women were going to anoint the dead body of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they are saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And after entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed or do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. What stunning words. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. In many of your Bibles, you'll see a little note above verse nine that says these verses don't appear in the original manuscripts and from the rest of Mark nine all the way down to 20 um, is a very brief account of the end of this gospel account. And I just wanna encourage you this morning as I read through different commentary that that little note is to simply indicate that some of the original manuscripts don't have this story. But if you look at all the other gospel accounts, that the way this unfold runs in parallel track to the other gospel accounts. And so you can have confidence that the word of God is true. There are over 5,600 original manuscripts of this. And so as biblical scholars have wrestled through all of these specific texts, what I have come to discover is that verses nine through 20 at the end of Mark, they square with the other gospel accounts, even though some of the language is slightly different and some of the words are slightly different. So we pick up in verse nine, it says, now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he, meaning Jesus, appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive, and that had been he had been seen by her they would not believe it one of the themes specifically in mark's gospel is the difference between belief and unbelief and i want to ask you this morning on this easter morning do you believe do you believe in your heart that jesus is the son of god that he's the crucified and risen king that he is the savior for all who would believe Do you believe that his grace is sufficient for you? Do you believe that in Christ you are fully forgiven and fully alive to God? Do you believe that you're a child of God, adopted by God, by grace through faith, with the merit of Christ as your honor and badge that you belong to Jesus, that you've been made one with him? Do you believe those things? Now, John's gospel helps us see this same story with greater detail. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Hello. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. Back in Mark, it says, after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Again, this theme of belief versus unbelief. Do you believe? Do you believe this morning? Now, Luke's gospel helps us see this story of the two walking in the countryside with greater detail, too. This is Luke 24. It says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them. Can you imagine you're you're overcome with grief, you're confused, you're, you're trying to think why why the cross? Why the betrayal? Why the arrest? Why this mock trial? Why the crucifixion? And they're just walking in the countryside, overwhelmed with grief, and Jesus is right beside them, walking with them. But they, they couldn't see it. It says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, and he said, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? What are you talking about? Jesus walks beside them, what, what's going on? What's up? What, what are you talking about? And they stood still and looking "'Sad, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, "'Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem "'who does not know the things "'that have happened there in these days?' "'And he said to them, Jesus said to them, "'What things?' "'You can see the humor.'" He knew, of course he knew all of that. Guys, what are you talking about? Do you not know what things? "'And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth.'" a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us and they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of us who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but Jesus, they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory And beginning with Moses and all the prophets Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself? He's saying from cover to cover here, this is why all this had to happen. He's saying every prophetic promise, this, he was, Jesus literally explained that he was the fulfillment of every prophecy as he's walking with him and they still, they just don't see it. Do you see it this morning? They were right with him. They didn't see. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life, or maybe today is your first day stepping a foot into a building. Can you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus? It says, they drew near to the village where they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Again, the humor. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened. Can you imagine what total shock? You've just been walking for hours hearing this man that you did not recognize Talk about how he's the fulfillment of all these prophecies. You sit down at a table, you're reclining. This man, still unrecognized, takes bread, he blesses it and gives it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. What? You saw him, right? Yeah, I saw him. And in in the flash of an eye, our resurrected Jesus disappears. And they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned back to Jerusalem, back on this long walk home. And it says, they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord." has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Do you know him today? When he says, this is my body broken for you. When he took bread and he broke it, they remembered that upper room days before. They remembered him saying, this is my body broken for you. And when you eat this bread, remember me. He broke the bread, their eyes were open. He disappeared. They go back. We've seen him. He's alive. It's true. He he did it. He conquered the grave. Mark continues. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at a table. In Mark's gospel, it says, Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. I want to ask you this morning, is your heart hardened by sin or doubt? Do you believe this morning? Jesus is rebuking them because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim this gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Matthew helps us see the same story in Matthew 28. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That great commission, the mission of God's people to announce and proclaim the worth of Jesus in every tribe in every tongue, in every language, to every nation. That began then, and as you were just reminded, it's happening today. It is an act of worship to proclaim Jesus to every nation. It's an act of adoration to God, to go wherever, whenever, at whatever cost, to lift up the name of Jesus, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to any and everyone who would hear, that they too might receive the good news of Jesus and believe. Mark continues and he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. Jesus is speaking that in my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues and they will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them and they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, some very well-intending Christians have said, well, see, this is why we should pick up snakes. Don't do that. Well, this is why we should drink deadly poison. Don't do that. What Jesus was saying here is that when his Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, that signs and wonders will accompany belief. And we know if you read the book of Acts, we worked through the book of Acts together, signs and wonders did appear. And all around the world, the Holy Spirit still is at work in miraculous ways. But this is not normative. This is not prescriptive. And you cannot demand that these things happen. The Holy Spirit is who he is And he does what he does. And what he does is perform miracles that will glorify the name of Jesus. The role of the Holy Spirit is to amplify and magnify Jesus. If there is any sign or any wonder, it should always and forever glorify Jesus. Jesus. And we know at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, when people began to speak in different tongues, the tongues they were speaking were announcing the greatness of Jesus in people's heart languages that they had never heard before. Someone who spoke that language heard someone else saying, Jesus is king, Jesus is God. And they're like, Are you kidding me? I didn't know that. He is king, he is God. And I just want you to know that in this text, you shouldn't go, Well, let's go find a snake and let's go pick some poison. And let's presume upon God. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. It says, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. You'll notice that's an abrupt ending, isn't it? The ascension of Christ in half a sentence. If you can believe the resurrection, from Mark's perspective, I'm just gonna give it a few words. He ascended into heaven. That's true as well. He was resurrected from the grave. He ascended into heaven. Now, in Luke 24, we see this same situation. It says, and Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifting his hands up, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And Mark, the last verse in Mark, says, and they went out. And preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So I want us to conclude Mark's study with this. Why does the resurrection matter? What is so foundational that the resurrection is important? It's everything. It's everything. And I want to help you see that this morning. Another man who was radically transformed by the power of the gospel, by the person of Jesus Christ, a man who hated Jesus and hated the church, met him on another road. And Jesus changed him and is using him to proclaim his greatness and his goodness. And these words come from the letter of Paul as he wrote to the church at Corinth. And he says, I would remind you, brothers, Of the gospel I preach to you, which you, listen, which you receive, you receive the gospel in which you stand, you stand in the gospel and by which you are presently being saved. You receive the gospel, you stand in it and by this gospel, you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. And then Paul reminds this church roughly 20, 25 years after the resurrection of Christ, why this resurrection of Christ matters. He says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, of whom many are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Paul's reminding this early church, the resurrection is true. It's not a myth, it's not make believe. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection. The dead body of Jesus was now alive and walking around and he appeared to many, many, many people. We to believe that and trust in that. And so when Paul continues on in writing, he says this, if in Christ, We have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. Those are for people who say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. He's a nice guy. He healed some people. No, he was the lamb of God slain in the hands of sinners. He was God who became sin for us that we could become right with him. And though he was without sin and this glorious exchange, he took on our sin that we could be made right with God. And Paul's saying, if, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, have pity on us. But he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And I want you to know that if you've only heard half the gospel, that you're a sinner that needs to be forgiven, that's it. You've just heard half of it. You are a sinner, I am a sinner, you do need to be forgiven, I do need to be forgiven, but that's not where the gospel ends. It's also that because we are forgiven, because sin has been atoned for, we are now children of God, adopted by God, the family of God, the priesthood of God, we belong to God, we've been redeemed by God, we are to live to God for his purposes, for his glory. It's not just that you need forgiveness, you have a new life in Jesus. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we have hope, because it's not just that we are people that struggle with sin. We are now sons and daughters who have a perfect father in heaven, a true elder brother in Jesus, and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us with life and godliness here and now. And he says in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Do you believe? Paul continues to write to the church at Rome and he he begins to break this down theologically, why this matters. He says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, how much more will they reign in life, rule in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So the law came to increase the trespass. There was already disobedience. All the law does is go, see? The law leads us to the foot of the cross because all the law does is it reveals our own disobedience. It just gives framework for our own rebellion before God, but it says, "'Now the law came to increase the trespass, "'but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, "'so that as sin reigned in death, "'grace also might reign through righteousness, "'leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.'" What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. You were baptized into his death. Because of what he's done, you were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death just in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Let me say that again. As Christ was raised by the dead, by the glory of the Of the Father. Happy Easter to you. As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ. If you wanna know what Easter really means, if you wanna know what it means to be resurrection people, it's that that you were crucified with him and you are no longer enslaved to sin, that you've been set free from sin, you're alive with him and you're living to God. And I just wanna spend a moment thinking on these, for you to see that the death of Jesus on the cross, that for the joy set before him, he, he had you there, that you died with him there, that your sin, which is real and significant and offensive to a holy God was paid in full, there, that all that you would ever do to deny him and resist him and grieve him and offend him was paid for in full there. There is not one thing, not one ounce of effort that you can do to add to the complete, finished, perfect work of Jesus. What great news this morning, that our striving should be to know him, not be good enough before him that our effort should be to honor him and not try somehow in failing effort to please him in our own strength or with our own goodness. You can be a great guy, a wonderful woman and be dead to God on the outside and on the inside. And it's not a matter of, are you good enough? You're not, sorry, I'm not, sorry. It's about, has your righteousness been given to you by the perfect work of Jesus? Christ and Christ alone. And that from the inside out, you are now living fully alive to God. What it means to celebrate the resurrection of Christ is to remember you are no longer enslaved to sin. I wanna to speak to the people who are struggling with habitual, ongoing sin, who keep doing the things you don't want to do. You may be addicted, you are not enslaved. You may be struggling, there may be patterns of behavior that need to be broken, but the word of God says you are no longer a slave to sin. You are not enslaved to sin. You may need help, you may need a way out, but you are not a slave to sin. You are a slave to righteousness in Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling with that ongoing, ongoing, I don't wanna do this, why do I keep on doing this? Get the help you need, but remember, you are a child of God. You are a slave to righteousness. You should know that in Christ, it will be more normal for you to walk in obedience. Though you may fail, it's more normal for Christians to walk in obedience than it is for Christians to consistently walk in disobedience without ever repenting. If you've sinned, if you've struggled, confess it. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins, bring it to someone and bring it to the Lord that you would be free from the sin of disobedience and that you'd be free from not confessing your stuff. But the merit of Jesus and the blood of Jesus says, you are not a slave to sin anymore. You are a slave to righteousness, therefore walk in that. It also says this, that you've been set free from sin. And I wanna break that down for you. You are most assuredly set free from the penalty of sin. You've been set free from the penalty of your sin. All of your sin, the penalty that was due for your sin and mine, nailed to the cross, paid and full, it is remembered no more. But the power of sin still lives within and the presence of sin is still all around. But I assure you, there will come a day when your faith is no more and when you behold him with perfect eyes and there will be no more presence of sin and no more power of sin. Sin lives in you, it is not you. You are not your temptations. You are not your failures. You are not the condemnation lies that the enemy speaks over you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not your struggle. You're a child of God. You are a slave to righteousness. You've been set free from the penalty of sin. And most importantly, you are alive with him. If you just think the gospel is you're a sinner and Jesus is how you can be forgiven, you're missing it. You are a sinner, Jesus is how you can be forgiven, but you are alive to God and Jesus Christ forever. Your heart once was dead and prone to sin, now your heart is alive and the core of who you are in Christ Jesus, though affected in every way by sin within and around, At the core of who you are, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, we regard no one according to the old way, but to the new. And our role is to proclaim this reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation. We're alive with him and we are living to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what Easter needs to mean to you, that I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. Everywhere I go and everyone I see and every word I say and every choice I make is through the lens I'm alive to God, in Christ Jesus. And therein lies the power to obey. Therein lies the power to heal. Therein lies the power to forgive. Therein lies the power to remain faithful. Therein lies the power, what you need for life and godliness if you will live in this way. I'm alive to God, in Christ Jesus. I am alive to God, in Christ Jesus. I don't have the strength on my own, but because I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus, he lives in me. He's the hope of glory. He is my strength. He is my song. He is what makes me the best of who I am. And apart from him, I can do nothing. Happy Easter. You are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for what good news that is. And Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work helping us see Jesus with greater affection, greater longing, greater faithfulness. Lord, I just pray over everyone here that they would walk in the fullness of what that means. That we as your people are alive to God in Christ Jesus. That we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. It's no longer up to us, to pay for our sin. You paid it all. The best way we can honor you and honor that and live with you and walk with you is simply to be present with you and the promises of what you've given us and Jesus. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that Jesus, you would be their greatest treasure. That knowing you our risen and reigning king would be the passionate pursuit of our lives. And when we breathe our last here, it will be said most of us by those still left, this man knew Jesus, this woman knew Jesus. Lord, we pray that as we hear your word and hear the proclamation of who you are and what you have done, that you would help it land deep within our souls, God. That that truth will be an anchor for our hearts, God. Our hearts that are so prone to wander. Help us today, Jesus. We pray these things in your son's mighty and unrivaled name, amen. Thanks again for listening this week. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Auburn Church, you can go online at graceauburn.church or you can download the Church Center app from the App Store or the Google Play Store on your mobile device.